0: So our reading is taken from Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 to 18, then chapter 20, verses 1 to 21, which can be found on page 76 of the Church Bible. Starting from verse 1 of chapter 19. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set off, "'from Rathidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, "'and Israel camped there in the desert "'in front of the mountain. "'Then Moses went up to God, "'and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, "'This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob "'and what you are to tell the people of Israel. "'You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt "'and how I carried you on the eagle's wings "'and brought you to myself.' Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenants, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud, so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down to the mountain, to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day, abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord descended on it in fire. Smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Then turning to chapter 20, commencing at verse 1. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was.
1: Thank you very much. Well, let me pray for us as we turn our attention again to that passage. Father, you are a God who speaks to us and so please would you make us a people who listen. Help us to hear what you are saying in the Bible. Help us to apply it rightly to our lives and even as we look at these rules, please would you point us to Jesus this evening, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, I wonder what you think of when you hear the word freedom. One way to gauge how most people see something is to do a Google image search. You sort of think, what are the pictures and the bits of rubbish clip art and the sort of memes and the silly pictures when you put a word in there? What are the ways that people visualize that? I will save you the time. When you put in freedom, you find stuff like this. Chains breaking across the sunset, bursting apart. That's freedom, isn't it? or birds flying out of cages into the sunset. That's freedom, isn't it? Sometimes, somehow, both as the chains break into little pieces and the little pieces become birds. That is surprisingly common, actually, when you search for freedom on Google. We think of freedom as that sort of thing, that sort of breaking away from something. We're no longer tied down or held in a cage. We can now go wherever we want. Where that actually is, is not the point, is it? Because we think about freedom as freedom from stuff. Bad stuff, restrictive stuff, uncomfortable stuff. Freedom means to be rid of all of that. But is that what it means to be truly free? In the Bible, freedom is about freedom from certain things, but it's also about freedom for Other things, not just to have our chains broken and now you're left to fend for yourself. No, instead it's being taken out of the cage and led somewhere much, much better. Now we've been studying this book of Exodus for a while now and we've seen lots of freedom from, haven't we? We've had this nation in slavery called out, rescued by God. They're no longer slaves. It's a wonderful story of freedom from But the Lord wasn't just trying to get them out of trouble was he? He was trying to get them in to freedom, real freedom, the kind of freedom that we were made for, the freedom of being God's people. And that's how today's passage begins as God makes very very clear that his people have been redeemed for relationship. They've been redeemed for for relationship. They've been set free from slavery for a relationship with God. It's been two months now since they left Egypt. And here they are at Mount Sinai. They set up this kind of base camp at the bottom. And Moses goes up the mountain to meet with God. And listen to what the Lord says to him, chapter 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. See how they've been redeemed for relationship. The Egyptians were judged. The Israelites, however, were carried away to safety. Like an eagle might swoop down, pick something up and take it away. They've been rescued, redeemed, out of bondage. But this isn't an eagle who's going to swoop down, take them away and just sort of drop them somewhere no it's taking them somewhere safe to bring them to God wasn't God with them in Egypt Well, we've seen already very much he was but now he wants this even deeper more committed relationship with them and that reminds us of Jesus doesn't it doesn't it in 1 Peter 3 verse 18 we're told Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, being brought to God. That has always been the aim through this whole thing, so we can be with God in a relationship with Him. Back in Exodus 3, verse 12, when Moses first met God at the burning bush, God said this, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you, that's you plural, you will worship God on this mountain. And here we are, 16 chapters later, he has done it. He's brought them out to himself. They're there on that very same mountain that Moses was on all that time before. Meeting with the Lord. This is what they'd been asking Pharaoh for permission to do all that time, wasn't it? We want to go out into the wilderness to worship God. It wasn't actually originally, we want to go out and be free forever. It was just give us a few days off to go and meet with God. In the end, they they ended up leaving for good. But it's all been leading up to this, has not it? As they are brought to God. And now God continues in verse 5. He says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The Lord wants to create a covenant with them, a binding relationship with them. A relationship of love. You will be my treasured possession. He says, "handpicked, special, and chosen. Now, we've all got treasured possessions, don't we? Things that we love, things we'd hate to lose. Maybe sentimental things, like a photo album, or a toy from when we were little. Maybe expensive things, like our gadgets or furniture. Maybe just things we love to use, you know, the perfect mug. I could never replace that mug. Or something that reminds us of somebody. Well, God is saying here, out of everything in the world, and he owns everything, you will be my most valuable, my most prized, my most looked after, my most enjoyed thing. You will be my favourite. Out of everybody, you people will be my people, deeply, deeply loved and special to God. And they're to be like priests. Now they didn't have priests yet, eventually they would. But the idea being that out of all of God's people, some of them would be given a special role. They would represent the people before God and represent God before the people. They would enable the two to come together. That's what priests do. But he's saying that there is a sense that they're all priests. Before any of them are given this particular job, you're all priests. They're a kingdom of priests. They are all going to worship God. They're all going to serve him. They're all going to represent him. What the priests were to Israel, Israel should have been to the world. Teaching the world what God is like. Showing what it looks like to live in a relationship with him. Bringing other people in. God has always been evangelistic. He has always been mission-minded and set them this job of representing him to the world to draw other people in the way that a priest does. Now, Israel failed to do that. But God still wants a people who are like that. Which is why when we come to the New Testament, we find those same things said of us, the church. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, of people who trust in Jesus, he says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Can you see the links there? We're redeemed out of darkness for a relationship of love, chosen to worship him and praise him. We, us, people who trust in Jesus, the church, are this holy priesthood. We've been rescued, redeemed, so that the world will know what a wonderful God we have, and that they can have too. We have that role as well. Many people point back to this event at Sinai as the first church gathering, You might not think of that and go, oh, that sounds just like church. We don't have many smoking mountains and things. But as the first church gathering, when Deuteronomy describes this day, it uses for the first time the word that's translated elsewhere as church. As the people gather there as church. The redeemed meeting with God to hear him speak. The people of God gathered under the word of God. That is the church. There are big differences, (laughs) as we'll see, but note the similarities. We too are redeemed for a relationship with God. We too gather to hear God speak in his word, the Bible. We too respond to him like they did, speaking to him in prayer, committing to live for him. And like them, our relationship with God flows out of being redeemed that that comes first it's not the other way around you know that God didn't turn up in Egypt and present them with a list of rules and say now if you are all very good boys and girls and if you do these list of 10 things maybe I'll think about rescuing you no he rescued them and then he teaches them how to live we get verse 4, I carried you on eagles' wings. And then we get verse 5, you will be a holy people. The same thing comes in chapter 20, when we actually get to the Ten Commandments. It begins with this little preamble, it doesn't just jump in with here's the rules. It begins in verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then comes the list of ways that we should live. The rescue comes first. Now that is even clearer for us who believe in Jesus. But even for them back then, it was never the case that law-keeping was the way to become friends with God. Redemption comes first, then relationship. Now for them, in this covenant that Moses was there as a part of, law-keeping was what that relationship looked like and so when the law is criticized in the New Testament it's criticizing the way that people try to use the law as a way to get right with God as if we can do the things and then maybe he'll be friends with us we do the things and then maybe after that I can have a relationship we do the things and then maybe he'll redeem me now that was never what it was about God redeems a people first and then he teaches them how to live. Now that being said, a relationship with a holy God did and does require holiness. Not before the relationship can start, but flowing out of it. And so that's that's our second thing we're going to see this evening. That God's people are redeemed for holiness. We are redeemed for holiness. That's what the relationship's going to look like for us. It isn't so much freedom from anybody telling us what to do. Tim was saying that earlier. It's funny, it is a strange thing, isn't it? We go, true freedom. Well, let's look at the Ten Commandments. You think, what? But no, it isn't a freedom from anybody telling them what to do. It is a freedom for a better way of living. To be holy to be set apart as special and different and so if people are going to have a relationship with a God who is like that who is holy well then they also need to be holy verse 6 says you're going to be a holy nation verse 5 calls for obeying God fully and so Moses comes down the mountain and passes that message on to the people and says is that the kind of relationship you want to which they say, Yes, it is. Verse 8, we will do everything the Lord has said. Goodness me, if ever words came back to haunt you. <laughs> we will do everything the Lord has said. Great. Well, in that case, the Lord sends Moses down again with instructions to consecrate the people. Verse 10. That is, set them apart as holy. Consecrating is what priests do to separate themselves from sin to commit themselves to God. He says, I need you to do that for the people. I need them to consecrate themselves. So they, they do that in various external ways. They wash their clothes. They abstain from sex. They generally just focus their minds, get themselves ready, because they are focused on meeting with God. And when they do that, when they meet with him, he teaches them how to live holy lives. That's what the Ten Commandments are. They are the basics of living in holiness. The UK government uh, has passed 40 new laws this year so far. 40. And yet all of God's laws can be summarised in just 10. Every other rule in the Bible is just applying one or more of those 10 into a specific situation. And and that does happen in the the next few chapters. There are various instructions about different things, really. But they're not going, oh, I thought there were only 10. It turns out there were 12, 13, 14, 15. No, it's those 10 applied to a particular situation. So any sin that you can think of is a version of one of these rules being broken. These rules are so fantastic and encapsulating everything in, in in a really succinct way as we read these commands, we see what God is like. They describe him. They describe his character, perfect in every way. But as they do that, they convict us of how different we are to that. We look at the law and say, wow, that is what God is like. And that is not what I am like. I am so far from these things. And these laws as well, they show us the direction of holiness. It teaches us right and wrong, points us to how we should live, if only we could. Now we're going to look at these commands in two halves. You've got sort of one to four focused on how we treat God, five to ten focused on how we treat other people. Or as Jesus put it, love God and love your neighbour. So we're going to look it down to those those headings we're not going to go in tons of detail for each one but just get the gist of it so that we get the gist of holiness firstly love God that's commandments one to four so chapter 20 verse three you shall have no other gods before me setting ourselves apart as holy begins with setting the Lord apart as our only God No other rivals, no other competition. He alone is the Lord in our lives. You sort of think, well, if we could do that, then we wouldn't need all the other rules, would we? He is the only one. And so those gods of Egypt, well, they've got to go. As do the gods of any other religion. As does anything or anybody who might rival God in our affections. He's supposed to be our first love, our primary allegiance, our most important relationship no other gods but him the next one in verse 4 you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below you shall not bow down to them or worship them now, this isn't a repeat of the first one no other gods this is about how we worship the Lord he's saying don't make a picture or a statue and bow down to that that is not how he wants to be worshipped because any image that we might make of God will always belittle him it's always going to reduce him to the level of our imagination and make him look like something something else that we can see well maybe he's a bit like that no that's the point he's not like any of those things he's utterly unique And it's interesting, isn't it? In all of this, the people don't see God at all. They hear him. And so worship is supposed to be a response to what we hear, not what we see. So anytime we say, that's what God looks like, it's always going to be insultingly wrong. And yet how often we do shrink God down to something that we can control, something we can get our heads around. Maybe not bowing down to a statue, but lifting up our ideas of him over what he's really like. Third command, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Now, partly this is about how we speak. We speak respectfully of God. We don't use his name as a swear word but it's also about lifestyle. Older translations talk about taking God's name in vain. Now if you take it, that's more than just saying it, isn't it? When Liv and I got married, she took my name, my surname. And there's that sense in which we are now in a relationship with God. We take his name. We literally carry his name with us. We carry it wherever we go. We represent Him. That's why in the New Testament we're told to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus because we carry His name wherever we go. And so this command is saying, don't do things that reflect badly on God. Don't do things in His name which He wouldn't have you do. And again, what a challenge that is, how often we might carry His name out into the world in ways that do not represent what He is like. Next command in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. There's the holy word again, set apart as different. And I put this on the love God side of things because it's about worship. It's about stopping that normal routine to rest in God. But it could also be on the love your neighbor side as well because it is a command here to let other people rest as well. Do you see that in verse 10? Even their servants... Now, Pharaoh never gave them a day off, did he? But God is so much better than that. God wants them to rest and to live in that freedom of worshipping Him. What a great God we have. That one of the ten rules is take a day off. <laughs> Love of other people then gets more obvious from here on in, and it starts at home. Verse 12 Honour your father and your mother respectful, ordered families. Now, that's the basis of a stable society, isn't it? And again, this is so far away from freedom from. If it was freedom from, throw off all authority, get rid of all that. No, 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 no. Embrace the authority of God and the authority that God has put over us. Obeying our parents when we're younger, respecting them when we are older the sixth command extends that honour outside the home. We've got to show a particular honour to some people, but we show another kind of honour to everybody. You shall not murder. Now again, you think that's quite a low bar for how to treat people, but it's saying everybody is, ought to be seen as valuable. They ought not to just be got rid of because they're a nuisance to us. So obviously this means not killing each other, not aborting babies, not bumping off the elderly not attacking people violently and as Jesus made clear not holding anger in our hearts 1 John 3 verse 15 says anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer how sad it is that this is the law people pull out as if to say I'm a good person I've never killed anybody And yet God's word also says, if you hate, you are a murderer. Seventh commandment, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. So that's faithfulness within marriage, not breaking it off, not going behind each other's backs. This command extends out to avoiding all sexual contact outside of marriage because it points to the faithfulness of God's his faithfulness to his people, his faithfulness to his promises. And because that's what he's like, we should be like that too. And we should be like that on the inside as well, not committing adultery in our hearts by lusting after somebody. Verse 15, you shall not steal. If something is not yours, it is not yours. Do not take it. Verse 16, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Tell the truth. I mean, what a world if people would tell the truth. Lying is totally contrary to the character of God. Everything he says is reliable and trustworthy and good. And so we should use our words in that same way, not to deceive people or tear other people down, not to spread rumours or cast people in a bad light or get other people into trouble. We should be people of the truth. And finally, verse 17, you shall not covet. To covet is to strongly want something you don't have. Hence listing other people's stuff their house, their spouse, their staff, their animals, or anything that belongs to your neighbour, their car, their house, their whatever it is. Be content with what you have. Now, this is proof, isn't it, that that the law is not just about our behaviour. It's about our hearts. Because we've already been told not to commit adultery and not to steal, but this command comes in and says, yes, and don't even want to do that. If we really kept the Ten Commandments, we would need new hearts, wouldn't we? Hearts that actually love God and love our neighbours, not just do those things, but really love God, are really changed So the things we want are different. Wouldn't the world be a better place if everybody did this? If we lived in a world without fighting and killing and lying and gossip and envy and theft a world of stable marriages, loving, respectful families, a world where God is honoured and obeyed. These laws, the only things he's telling us not to do are things that make life awful. (laughs) Don't do those things. And the things that he commands are things that would make everything so much better. Wouldn't you want to live in a world like that, in a town like that, be part of a family like that, be part of a church like that? And yet in our sin, we want to chuck this all away. We want to throw it all out. Because we know we can't do it. We know we can't do it. We were looking through my sermon notes just before the service and uh, uh, Felicity was sat on my lap just messing around and and jokingly took my little pen and saw when it came to honour your father and mother and jokingly did a little scribble out, like a cheeky little thing. And she's only joking. I hope you're only joking. Aren't you? yeah. <laughs> and yet we would if we could. If we could do that to God's word, if we could look at these things and go, well, when it says that, I don't really need to do... When true freedom is found in holiness. When holiness like this is beautiful because it describes what God is like. It is the best way to live. God's people are redeemed for holiness. But the reaction of the people to the giving of these laws is not, oh, thank you. It is, oh, no. They are terrified of the holy God. They're terrified. Hear their response in verse 18, straight after the Ten Commandments. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. I don't know if you ever tried to imagine what it was like when God gave the Ten Commandments. I probably imagine it with Moses on the top of the mountain and God giving him the laws on tablets of stone, that sort of thing. But the laws weren't written down yet. That's a few chapters later when they're written down on tablets of stone. Moses isn't up the mountain when this happens. See chapter 19 verse 25, see where he is? Moses went down to the people and told them what to do. And then God spoke these things. God spoke the Ten Commandments loud enough for everybody to hear. And their response at the end is, Please don't let God ever speak to us again. If that ever happens again, we're going to die. We might think, wow, imagine hearing God. I wish I could have been there. But the people who were there were desperate to be anywhere else. They are terrified of this holy God. And in a way, rightly so. Hear what Moses says back to them in verse 20, chapter 20, verse 20. Moses said to the people do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So on the one hand, don't be afraid. And on the other hand, do. God wants them to fear him, to respect him, to realise just how holy he is, just how unholy we are. Everything about this encounter points to God's holiness, doesn't it? Even at the bottom of the mountain, they're not allowed to go near it, but even at the bottom, the people still had to consecrate themselves. God is so holy, they couldn't show up as they were. And then hear God's warnings. Chapter 19, verse 11 and 12. On that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. Set up a perimeter. Put up danger signs. Put out barbed wire. Put Police tape. Do not cross. Whatever it takes to keep people out. Because God is so holy, he cannot be approached. Have we understood that? That is what God is like. And when he does arrive, well, it's like the burning bush times a million. Verse 18 Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. Yesterday it was just a hill, and now it seems to be a volcano. It's like Mount Doom from Lord of the Rings. You've got this terrifying inferno surrounded by lightning and storms. Moses comes up the mountain and the first thing God tells him to do is go back down again and reiterate the warnings. Verse 21, go down, warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. Even the priests who will approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them break out against it it is as if God's holiness is nuclear it is dangerous to be around it's interesting isn't it when he says put them to death but put them to death in a way that means you don't touch them don't go near them it is nuclear people might be tempted to duck the barrier and sneak a look it is not safe because God is so blisteringly holy That he's liable to explode. And so the people are terrified. Everything about this is designed to drill that home. The utter holiness of God. His purity that cannot stand the presence of sin. We forget God's holiness so easily, don't we? When the law cries out that God is holy and that we are not no other gods before me and we constantly put other things in his place don't make an image and worship it how often we make God out to be smaller than he is do not murder do not lie do not covet we break those every day the law should leave us quaking in our boots because even though it began with a rescue this covenant was conditional on ongoing obedience back in 19 verse 5 there's a terrifying word if now if you obey me fully well then they get to enjoy continuing as his people what a word that is if you do that it is right isn't it to hear these lords and laws and tremble we should never read the ten commandments and feel smug as if we've got it covered It shows us how far short we fall. And Israel fell short. They broke the law. They broke the covenant. And so how can we have a relationship with a God like this? We're redeemed for relationship. And yet God is so holy, we can't. We're redeemed for holiness. And yet we are not. Well, the answer can only be through Jesus, that we are redeemed by Jesus. Jesus rescues us. Jesus brings us into a relationship with this holy God. There's so much we can learn from this story in Exodus, but we mustn't think that we are coming to God the same way that they did. This covenant was very new for them, but it is what we call the old covenant, isn't it? We have a new covenant, a new relationship, a new way of relating to God through Jesus that is so much better than this. And I just want to draw us to one passage in the New Testament quickly that draws out that difference. Look up Hebrews 12. Hebrews chapter 12. It's page 1211 if you've got a church Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. Starting at verse 18. You Christians, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. To darkness, gloom and storm. To a trumpet blast. Or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. Because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. That's where the Israelites were. That's what we've just been reading about, isn't it? How wonderful that is not where we are. As Christians, we don't get to God up Mount Sinai and all its laws and all the terror and all the judgment. Where do we go? Well, let's read on from verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven you have come to God the judge of all to the spirits of the righteous made perfect to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel what a contrast that is they had Moses as a mediator, as as a go-between. And in the bits we were looking at in Exodus, he goes up and down the mountain seven times, up and down and up and down and up and down. Our mediator is Jesus. We don't need to go up a hill because our God has come down to us so that we can know him. And if there is a hill that we go to, it's Zion, heaven itself. And because of his spirit living in us, we can be there, we can go there, wherever we are. We have a new covenant that is entirely reliant on the obedience of Jesus and where the punishment for disobedience has been taken in the death of Jesus. Praise God that we are redeemed by Jesus. But if we think that means we need not bother being godly, well let's read on because we're still redeemed for holiness. Hebrews 12 goes on, see to it then that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? And then down in verse 28, therefore since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. So God hasn't changed, has he? In this new covenant, he is still a consuming fire. And so it matters how we live. We must listen to him. We must keep trusting him. The healthy fear of God should, try, should keep us from sinning as well. But we do it from a place of thankfulness. We do it not as part of a crowd cowering at a distance, but drawing near to God part of the joyful assembly as believers in Jesus God's law no longer just booms at us from the outside threatening judgment. the law is now written on our hearts so as we close if if we've heard all of this and we still think that we can be good enough list of rules I can do that we are kidding ourselves We need to be redeemed by Jesus. So let's come and put our trust in him. And if we hear about Jesus and go, oh, well, it doesn't matter how we live. Again, we're kidding ourselves. We were slaves to sin. Freedom from that must mean freedom for holiness. Anything else would be like the Israelites going back to Egypt. Being redeemed by Jesus is freedom for holiness holiness for relationship with a holy God. And that is a wonderful privilege that we have. Let's pray. Father God, your law humbles us. It reveals to us just how pure and holy you are and just how sinful we are. We are sorry, Lord, for the countless ways that we break your law. Just 10 things we need to do or to not do and we break them constantly. And so we cry out to Jesus to redeem us, to set us free. Forgive us, we pray, and make us holy. Lord, we want to be priests. We want to worship you. We want to bring others to know you as well. And so we pray that you would be at work in us by your Holy Spirit So that more and more we live in holiness in relationship to you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.